welcome to this Nordics Info podcast. Nordics Info is a research dissemination website based at Aarhus University in Denmark and publishes material by researchers on many different aspects of the Nordic countries within the social sciences and humanities. Nordics Info is part of the University Hub Reimagining Norden in an Evolving World, Renew. My name is Nicola Whitcomb and I'm the editor of the website. This podcast series is based on me catching up with specialists and experts at different university events and discussing particular topics of the day with them. This podcast is about identity and the Nordics and is the second of two podcasts about the subject. It was recorded at the Marienlust Hotel in Helsingør, Denmark, during an academic workshop on identity and post-global Nordic societies in March 2020. Helsingør was an apt location, sitting as it does on the edge of the Danish island Zealand, overlooking the narrow stretch of water between Denmark and Sweden, Sweden being only six kilometres away and the Norwegian border about four and a half hours drive. Historically important for centuries, Helsingør has overseen ships passing to and from the Baltic Sea for military and economic reasons. In this second podcast on identity, we start by digging into the concept of regional identity. But first, a couple of years ago, I was on a shopping trip in Birmingham in the UK with my mother and daughter. I was already used to the Brits' obsession with Denmark and all things Scandinavian, due to being aware of the countless books on Hugo, the quick translation of which is coziness in its many forms, and my friend's obsession with various Nordic noir television shows. However, it still struck me. There, by the checkout, was what appeared to be a completely normal, white candle, but its label declared it provided you with Scandinavian hygge, and you were expected to pay £20, quite a lot for a candle in UK terms, for the pleasure. How could this be? How come what is perceived as Scandinavian or Nordic be worth so much? Apparently something to aspire to by British shoppers. And do people from the Nordic countries feel this sense of Nordicness? I asked Professor Kshinish Kmuziel from Gdansk University Institute of Scandinavian Studies, and he usefully compares the apparent success of the Nordic region with that of the Baltics. If a, if a regional identity is to be successful, it has to rely on at least three or four um, frames or shapings and one of them is territorial it has to be rather unquestioned by the um, people who live in the area that we have and share a common territory which is not a problem with the nordic region because of the long history of preaching the region in the north as more or less homogeneous region, even though it is not homogeneous, but it is homogeneous in relation to other parts of Europe. Uh, so the territorial shaping is speaking in favor of the Nordic region in comparison with the Baltic region, where they, especially the eastern border of the region, are not that clear. Uh, the other way of framing a region to be successful is, to, is the institutional framing or institutional shaping. And it is, of course, uh, the Nordic Council of Ministers that comes to my mind in the first place when we talk about the Nordic region. 
several attempts in the Baltic Sea region that was trying to um, <clears throat> to conceive of Balticness uh, could be mentioned, but they are far less successful in the sense of efficient institutions, institutions that are able to to impose a certain worldview on the inhabitants of a given area. Uh, the third kind of shaping or framing is about symbols. So when we are dealing with the symbolic shaping of the Nordic Council uh, and we compare it with the Baltic attempts to shape the region, again, um, the comparison is in favor of the Nordic countries because of well, several of uh, institutions that are easily identified with several of the companies that are identified as Nordic uh, and several of the symbols that uh, show or identified with a united region. And the final element about the regional uh, cooperation to become a successful frame of reference is about its contextual perception. And if in the context of Europe, of regions, see the North as a united one, if we see the uh, Nordic region as part of the regional system that has been created in Europe, uh, well, we have to, know, to notice that it is much more pronounced than the Baltic Sea region, even though the attempts to to create a region in in the Baltic Sea area have been pretty uh, pretty advanced too. I mean, there is this EU strategy for the Baltic Sea region, uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, it is also invested with Nordic meanings to a great extent. So, there appear to be many layers allowing the manufacturers of the expensive candle to charge a lot for it simply by it being stamped with a Nordic label, including geography, political will through investment in regional institutions, the perception as the North, wherever that starts and finishes, being united. Companies were also mentioned in our first podcast on identity, namely Maersk, the Danish shipping company, and IKEA, the Swedish furniture company. An interesting example of a company that is based on not national lines, but regional lines, is Scandinavian Airlines. In February of this year, SAS did something interesting. In an advert, they took several key attributes of Scandinavia, including meatballs and gender equality, and tried to sever their connection with the Nordic countries. They presented them each in turn, explaining how all the attributes had actually originated somewhere else. They faced a backlash. Some people in Scandinavia saw SAS as dismantling what they thought were the essential parts of their culture and identity. Michael Benison Henson, PhD fellow at Copenhagen Business School, explores this in the following. That there's no essential Scandinavian identity that everything is borrowed, reinvented, shared, and so this circulation of ideas. And also the ad was you know, with a tongue-in-cheek, so, so you had people, oh, was that not even Danish? I thought, was that <laughs> not even that is Swedish? And still you had a quite strong reaction to it, uh, because it then provoked those who 
think of identity and in this case national identity as something in, in what you could call essentialist. Uh, mm-hmm. That's right. So that, that there is something essential about being Danish, being Swedish, mm-hmm. being Norwegian. The SAS advert can be seen in different lights, of course. On the one hand, it could be trying to tell the viewer that we are global citizens, trying to get us to acknowledge that we are all connected with people from all over the world in different ways. This is perhaps running parallel to, or pushing against the tide of thinking which was explored in the first podcast, namely that people are increasingly identifying with more local or smaller groups and are rejecting globalization more and more. What is clear, however, is that they are an airline company, but there were no images of planes, smiling air stewards or similar. Mass Mordhorse, Associate Professor at Copenhagen Business School. What I think about SAS and the commercial, um, I think that SAS deliberately go into an identity market. I think it's really strategical and I think they somehow have seen this discussion coming. It's quite close to what you can see in other commercials, for example, Nike and uh, Colin Kaepernick, directly go into identity. So they have targeted that today it's not the product that we are selling, we are selling identity. And that's a totally new market and a much more important market than the other one. And I think they really play on this. And therefore it was, I mean, I think they could not have wished for a better discussion than this one. Another way of looking at the SAS commercial is that it is suggesting that identity is fluid and up to yourself. Professor Kashinish Musial again, followed by Mass Mordhorst. In a way, what I'm just saying also links to what Matt said about SAS, uh, having, having an interest in either deconstructing the image of, of, of Scandinavian uh, brand uh, in order to sort of reconstruct it in a, in a new way, uh, in a post-global world order or in the, in the post, uh, uh, post-modern world order where anything goes and people put like puzzles, their different uh, narratives, uh, and also companies put like puzzles and different narratives which we thought the nations had uh, in the past. I would agree, and if you take the SAS commercial, then this that you are on the constant, constant change and fluidity all the time. And, and, and with that become your identity to be under constant change and fluidity, then you create a problem also for yourself because what are you then? Yeah, are you just a product of, of all the coincidence, right? Yeah. I mean, and of course, from an academic point of view, <coughs> I can fully see that. But if you ask yourself, then it somehow become a bit difficult. Are you just as a circulation product yourself? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it, even if you, if you take, if you buy this narrative, we are travelers, right? From where to where? Yeah, exactly. To becoming what? To becoming mm-hmm. who? To yeah. becoming of, of yeah. what qualities? And that, or is it just a random collection of, you know, yeah, exactly. uh, things that go or sell well on the market at some point? Hmm. Is identity just things that sell well on the market? Here is Mass again, this time explaining a little bit about marketing on the national and regional level. We have to remember that branding is not a theoretical concept. It's something that is merging from marketing and somehow practical tool how to sell your goods, right? It's, it's, it's not a theoretical concept. 
but also the, the things that have been developed within branding. Uh, we have place branding at one side. I mean, if we do not take a product brand, we have place branding and then we have got uh, nation branding. But a region brand is a quite different kind of brand because you have got lots of different interests there. Yeah. And there's been no work that has dealt specific with regional branding or regional reputation management for that sake. Regional branding then, something which the Nordics appear to have achieved quite successfully, seems to be harder than national branding, as there are so many different messages to send. But when we talk about identity being about external brands or a jigsaw puzzle of pieces that may change at any given time, it is difficult to reconcile this with our innate or essentialist feelings of identity. As Mass said, what are we then? Examples from elsewhere may be useful. The example of the Baltics at the beginning of the podcast being a case in point, and it being generally acknowledged that it's less successful than the Nordics in projecting, and perhaps feeling, a regional identity due to its heterogeneity amongst other things. Journalist and researcher Paulina Siegian from Gdansk University has been following regional identity of a different kind, namely that of within a country. The situation in Kaliningrad Oblast, a Russian enclave on the Baltic Sea, just across from the Nordic countries. Anytime there is a question of regional identity, it doesn't matter if in Kaliningrad or in White Sea region or in Siberia, it's very threatening for the central authorities in Moscow. So they're trying to suppress it in many different ways. Um, so this is also a very important factor because this discussion can be steered and can be like politicized in a very like literal way because the discussion about identity is always a political one. Uh, but it can be uh, it can be managed also using a very specific political tools. Similarly, in Belarus and other ex-Soviet countries, the process of re-establishing national identity after the breakup of the Soviet Union is important, as explained in the following by Lizavavet Dubinchka Hushka, researcher from Copenhagen Business School. She is followed by Larissa Kangaspuro from the Centre for Nordic Studies at Helsinki University, who goes on to explain that this is not so very different from the situation Finland found itself in about a hundred years ago, and which can arguably still act like a bridge between East and West. Coming from uh, Belarus originally, um, I can say that as a newly independent nation, uh, it strives to establish its own identity. The question of identity is extremely important for, for Belarusian society, especially if you look at the geographical position. Uh, uh, Belarus is a country which is um, uh, surrounded by uh, uh, six other nations, um, so we have uh, three uh, members of the European Union uh, to the west, and then we have Russia um, uh, 
to the east. And that means that for Belarusians to, uh, to formulate their own identity, they need to balance the different uh, vectors in different directions. Um, and um, I'm very pleased to see that in the recent years there's been a national revival of Belarusian culture and, and language. And, and finally, I can also see that Belarusians are trying to formulate their identity as something of their own. But I think um, one of the key uh, uh, elements in this process has been an attempt to accommodate their multiculturalism in Belarus and say that it's neither Eastern nor Western, but it's something of, of its own, something unique. I was born in uh, Soviet Union, and uh, I think that my identity is uh, multicultural. I can't say that I'm Russian, maybe citizen, uh, but uh, not my identity, because I'm so close to Slavic nations, and I'm so close to Baltic countries, I mean my identity, and I'm so happy to accumulate uh, inside me many different cultures, and I appreciate um, many values think from different national uh, identity. And now I live in Finland, and Finland, I think it's one of the best example state identity. Because like we all know that sometimes Nordic researchers take out Finland in Scandinavian context. Because like we know that more than 100 years Finland was under Russian influence, historically, politically, etc. But Finns kept their identity and not only from Russians and from Swedish. And uh, I'm proud of this nation. I live uh, about 20 years in Finland, and I can see how they keep their cultural, their um, political, uh, individuals' identity. And uh, I think that Finland is good to name bridge between East, example, Russia, and West. So comparing perceptions of identity in the Nordics with other countries can be illuminating. Another example is, while the Nordics are often seen from outside as being ethnically homogeneous compared to many other countries like the UK or the US, compared to countries like Poland, they appear to be far from it. And important issues of identity politics, such as that to do with the LGBTI movement, while still relevant in the Nordic countries, tend to be accepted as part of the discourse, whereas elsewhere, such as Poland, they still must be fought for. Here is Kishinish giving his distinctive view as a Polish academic studying the Nordics, followed by Paulina, explaining the concept of retrotopia, that is when certain feelings of identity can be taken advantage of in times of crisis. I'm from Poland and Poland is a very specific country in comparison to the rest of Europe nowadays because it is a homogeneous country. So definitely my space of experience is of a country where there are very few 
questions of identity uh, politics based on linguistic differences or uh, ethnic differences. Nevertheless, uh, this space of experience allows me to look at the Nordic approaches to identity or Nordic identity politics with some appreciation because of a successful project that has been carried out in the Nordic countries that despite the national, linguistic, um, ethnic uh, differences, uh, the issues that have uh, been brought as commonality uh, have been uh, framed to the extent that they created a, a wee feeling among the Nordic countries, a successful one, so that people can identify with certain elements, whereas at the same time they, they keep their differences uh, for themselves and they still can preserve their individual identity. Um, again, my space of experience from Poland uh, makes it uh, sometimes a bit uh, uh, problematic to understand uh, that uh, certain issues are not discussed any longer in the Nordic countries, uh, like biopolitics, uh, gender, sexuality, which are the issues that have been discussed and have been uh, incorporated in the Nordic politics, whereas in the country like Poland, they are now becoming issues of contention. They are now becoming issues where identities are created and constructed. Uh, there is this interesting concept of retrotopia uh, by Sigmund Bauman, by, by late Sigmund Bauman, a Polish sociologist uh, widely known for the concept of liquid modernity. And Bauman is bringing together the Bauman brings together uh, the spatial uh, element and the historic element uh, of identity, uh, showing that retrotopia in modern societies, like Poland is a very good example of it, uh, when escape from reality to the utopical history, to the imagined history, which is always perfect, which is always a golden age history, is a way, is a, like modern escapism for societies with a high level of insecurity. Um, and th this is the answer to the challenges of the future when you have basically no ideas what to do with the future and I would say Poland is like in, in, in that moment that it's not really producing any interesting concepts of, of future, of the future development uh, and it's a huge issue for us for now. The retrotopia is very useful also as uh, something that can be uh, can be exercised by politicians in terms of memory politics it is also because it's it's retro, so it's about time. It's about going back to the past, uh, but it's also about utopia. It's about place, and the place should be very. Uh, it's like specifically limited to the to the borders of the sovereign uh, nation state. So it brings together these both elements. It's like the perfect realm, but set somewhere in the past that that never wasn't in fact. And as we heard in the first podcast. Idealized images of the past can also be used in the Nordic countries, such as images of the social democratic heyday from the mid 20th century being used by a range of political parties, as well as arguably far right organizations and climate activists. 
And finally, a brief historical overview of identity from Kashinishk, touching on some of the issues we have dealt with in the two podcasts. You're, you're right that Cold War, up to a point, froze the social interaction and that the countries and also peoples in these countries, they were less likely to express their views and to express their identifications with all the heterogeneous features of their personalities and their interests. Manifesting interest in communist regimes was something that you would be punished for. So obviously the Cold War brought a window of opportunity or opened a window of opportunity for people to uh, manifest their differences. As once they started manifesting their differences and differentiation, the question of identity and identification came up. Uh, of course, originally that would be the national or ethnic, but with time there were also social and sexual and biological differences that we now discuss as well, parts or just uh, elements of our individual identities. Um, probably what is characteristic of uh, the day today, 2020, in comparison with 1989, is that the nation-state has come back uh, on the arena as perhaps well, if not a primary, but uh, at least as a very important player in our mindset to identify with. So identity is, of course, not just bound up with merchandise and making a profit. The blossoming of national identities of Soviet bloc states since the fall of the Berlin Wall being a case in point. Individual freedom to choose one's own identity and to define it is key in many different contexts most of them political to a greater or lesser extent. While identity appears to be something innate, our ideas of our own identity and how we perceive the identity of others can be influenced by a plethora of different things, be it political organisations or institutions, such as the Nordic Council, what we see and read in the media, such as constructions and deconstructions of different elements of being Scandinavian our families and social groups, or successful marketing of things from travel to candles. To sum up then, the interplay of different layers of identity means that academics often emphasise the complexity of it and use models and analyses in political science, cultural studies and other areas to try to understand it. On the other hand, many people see identity as something that is essential to them that it is felt subjectively or is inherent or inherited. Many thanks to the academics who contributed to this podcast. It was the second of two about identity in the Nordics. It was recorded at the Marienlust Hotel in Helsingør, Denmark in March 2020 and was introduced and produced by Nicola Whitcomb. This podcast and Reimagining Norden in an Evolving World Renew are supported by Nordforsk. If you would like to know more, please visit the website Nordics Info.